heart for God. That's a great catchphrase. There we go. Uh, but he's incredible. He works for Prison Fellowship. He is the oh, engagement officer. Oh, engagement manager. That's right. Engagement manager for Prison Fellowship. So what an ingre- incredible opportunity that a Christian heart is working with in what we consider a very tough community of individuals. Um, so he's incredible. He's got a beautiful wife, a beautiful dog. And I'm excited. He is He's impassioned about the Gospel. He's got a heart that is hungry for God and he can't help but express that. So I am particularly excited. Also, mate, I have to mention that he is better than Jordan. He can pay, he can pay me. That's what he said. He can pay me later, but he's gonna bring an incredible word today and I'm excited. Give him a round of applause. It's always nice, always nice to hear that you're better than your best friend, but I don't, I don't know if that's actually true. I think Geordie's probably better than me at a lot of things, not guitar, but everything else maybe. So there, there are a few things that, that Jordan is better at. Um, one of those things that Jordan is not better than me at doing is constructing flat pack furniture. I had an experience uh, with Geordie as we are moving into this building. We were setting up the office. And Geordie had to uh, construct a a chair, which he managed to construct upside down. (laughs) Now, how you manage to construct a chair upside down is is beyond me. But uh, when you sit down on a chair and it tips you off, that's when you know you've done it the wrong way. when you have a, a drawer that opens two centimetres, that's when you know you have constructed the flat pack furniture the wrong way. Needless to say, I've built most of the furniture after that. And if anything is wobbly around here, don't look to me. Look to my friend. Who stayed up late last night watching the election coverage? Well, lots of bleary eyes, lots of, lots of very sad eyes on one side of the room and a lot of very happy, jubilant people on the other side. It seemed like it was determined from the beginning. The exit polls said one thing, but something else happened. It was a result that some people in this room will be exceptionally happy about. It's a result that some people in this room will be exceptionally unhappy about. But as is the world... We don't always get what we want. But to quote a band from the 80s, sometimes if we try hard enough, we'll get what we need. I don't even know what band that was. Dragon, Foreigner, someone like that. One of those interesting bands. You know, I really want to um, point out the guitarists today. I'm a guitarist. Look at these magnificent items on the floor here. These are called pedal boards. And they are what makes us sound good. You might think that you might think the guitar playing is 85% skill, maybe 15% the equipment. It's absolutely untrue. Guitar playing is 5% skill, 95% the pedal board. It does most of the job for you. And let me tell you about my pedal board. When I was playing a few years ago. I had the biggest pedal board in this church. In fact, when Cliff Durkin walked in, he said for the first time, he goes, what is that? It looks like the NASA control room. (laughs) 
That was my pedal board. It was bigger than Judd's. It was much bigger than Geordie's. But this pedal board was a thing of beauty. I, I would often take apart this pedal board to try and make it better, to construct something that was, that was more beautiful, that had more pedals on it. I even considered at one point of time going to a multi-level, not just having one level, two levels. Imagine that, the first multi-level pedal board. Jordan couldn't have competed with that. <laughs> then I would have had skill and a giant pedal board. But here, here we go. I, I, I would reconstruct it often. And as I reconstructed it, I would often face troubles. And here are the troubles that I would face. This is a pedal here. I've got, this is the last pedal that I have. I sold all the rest of them and you'll hear why in a minute. You've got your power supply attached here. You've got to have power to your pedals. You've got to have a cable that connects to your guitar. There's lots of cables. They're called patch cables. As you can see, they're really short and they're hard to reach to the next thing. I would stay up in the middle of the night. That sounds like a beautiful Lemaire cry. That's my beautiful little niece. I have, to, I have to mention it from stage. I'm very, very smitten with my beautiful niece at the moment. Much more smitten than I was with my pedal board at the end of it. One night... I was getting ready for a big service. I think it was maybe even one of the opening services here. And Chanel was over at my house. And I was trying to reconstruct my pedal board when suddenly no sound was coming out of it. And I had 30 pedals and one of these pedals was stopping it from working. So I pulled out all the patch cables, all these little things, put new ones in, put them together again. Still didn't work. Then when I finally got sound coming out of it, there was a loud buzzing noise. There's something wrong with the power. So I have to go through all the power supplies, replace all the power. And by this time, it's 1.30 in the morning. And by 1.30 in the morning, I'm feeling like I'm wanting to give up. I'm starting to sit on the floor and cry and bang my feet on the, the ground, my hands on the ground. Have you ever seen an adult tantrum? That moment, every wife here has seen an adult tantrum. A man with a flat pack piece of furniture has seen an adult, adult tantrum. You know, uh, Chanel sees an adult tantrum at least twice a week. And there's something about it just didn't go right. And so I put together a very slim pedal board and the very next week I put it up all for sale. Ah, getting rid of this silly thing and getting something that works. I gave up on it because it didn't work as I thought it should. I let it go. It's like my Ab Circle Pro. <laughs> I gave up on it because it didn't work as I thought it should. One week of doing that for 30 seconds every second day should have given me washboard abs. <laughs> Yet here I am, and let me tell you, you too could have a body like mine. It's a very deliberate and careful regime of spaghetti and donuts. We live in a world where things do not always go to plan the way that we think that it should. We live in a world that is imperfect, that is broken, that when we set out to achieve something, it doesn't always happen the way that we thought that we, that we were going to see them outplay. When we look at the world, 
when we look at the whole world, we can see the brokenness that is uh, at play around the world. And when I was at Open Doors, an organisation that works with uh, uh, people who are persecuted for their faith, Christians who are persecuted for their faith, I would see this, these broken elements of our world often. I, one particular story that affected me very deeply when I was in Egypt was hearing the story of a mother who was on a bus going to a monastery on Ascension Day, a very special day in the, the Orthodox calendar. 40 days after Easter, they, people often go to monasteries to celebrate the day that uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. On this day, she's on a bus, and as she drives along this long country road in Egypt to a monastery, they're stopped by extremists. The extremists get on the bus and they're telling people, we know you're Christians, renounce your faith or die. At the front of the bus, Nadia sees her young son, not even a teenager yet. And this young boy is the first person that these extremists go to and say, say this confession of faith or we will take your life. And he held up his hand and said, showed a little cross that Orthodox Christians have on their wrist, said, I'm a Christian. I would never deny my faith. What a, what a broken world we live in. What a sad moment. Nadia described it to us as a moment of great pride that her son would be in such a situation but would not deny the living Christ. Yet at the same time, by his confession of faith, by his boldness, that child lost their life. You know, around the world, there's so many things that we can reference to do, to do with this. In North Korea, there's 300,000 known Christians. 70,000 of those Christians are in prison. That's almost a third of the, the Christians in North Korea are in prison. In Iran, we hear about these pastors often who are thrown into jail for starting a new church or uh, telling people about their faith or growing their church. In Iran, pastors are frequently thrown in jail. In Somalia, there's only 300 known Christians in the whole country. In China, churches are being forced to take down pictures of Jesus or, or crosses on their wall and replace them with pictures of uh, the uh, president of China. And in that situation as well, there, there's churches that are being demolished or being, um, uh, b being given Bibles that have been changed to take the heart and soul out of it. Why? Because they don't want Christianity to spread. In Egypt, it's illegal to become a Christian, but it's not illegal to convert to Islam. In Saudi Arabia, proselytizing is punishable by death. If you, if you share your faith with someone, you're at risk of being killed. In India, an, an extremist Hindu group called the RSS says Christianity will not exist by 2020. That's next year. 
And this group has people in every strata of power. We're seeing Christian organizations being shut down, thrown out from India. Some of you would be aware of what happened with Compassion just recently. Some would be aware of other organizations that are facing difficulty because of that extremist reaction. When we look at the, the world, we see poverty, injustice, war, famine, refugee crises, and what feels like gross uh, worldwide instability. In the world, we, we, we can see evil on the increase. We, we look at Australia and we see a decline in the church. In Australia, we see declining at church attendance. We often hear people talking about the hypocrisy of church movements. We hear about uh, uh, pastors and priests through the Royal Commission who have let people down severely. We can be disappointed by the way things are done in church and we can feel powerless in our nation because the church's influence appears to be on decline and we can feel like the church has become irrelevant to those around us. Who here has felt like that? In this election campaign, it felt as if the church, religious freedom, all of those things were irrelevant to the greater community. And that's a felt thing. And that's very really happening around us. Once more, we can feel disappointment in our own relationships. In our own personal relationships, we can be disappointed. Family relationships can be fractured. Marriages can face all kinds of difficulty. And many people in this room can attest to marriage not always being perfect. Chanel could attest to marriage not being perfect. It's good, but it's not always perfect. Husbands leave the toilet seat up. Not very good at doing the vacuuming regularly. I'm generally living in a pigsty. When I was a single man, it did not matter. But when you're a married man, it does. But our spouses can let us down in little ways or in significant ways. Our friends can let us down in little ways or significant ways. Our own life stories tell of those relationship breakdowns. I've experienced a relationship breakdown. Marriage, when I was young was not all it could be. And my relationship with my first wife broke down. Incredibly sad. It was not what it was expected to be. And sometimes the most difficult thing is that through this, we see the flaws in ourselves. We have regrets, shortcomings. We spot the hypocrisy in our own life. We know that we are far from perfect. We see the rubble of our past life, the rubble of the sin, the rubble of the evil things that we've done and we can't move past it. Internal divisions that show that we are imperfect ourselves. Evil is on the increase. Can I get the first slide up? God is working in an imperfect world. God is working, although evil is on the increase. And I hear it a lot. When I would speak at churches, 
for open doors, often people would come up to me afterwards and say, things are just getting so bad, aren't they? Things are just getting so bad. The whole world is just going so bad. I can't wait. I can't wait till Jesus comes back and everything is perfected and everything is good. And amen, that is a a time that's going to be fantastic, isn't it? We're looking towards a time when Jesus will return and perfect everything. But that is not the whole picture that Jesus painted. Jesus didn't just paint a picture of a world on fire, a world that would just burn itself to the ground. Jesus did not just paint a picture that became hopeless, where hope would overcome everything. Jesus painted a picture of a greater thing. Jesus painted a picture of wheat and tares, wheat and weeds. If you've got your Bible with you, I would love for you to grab, grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 13 with me. I'm going to read from verse 24. We can go to the next slide. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Here's this picture that Jesus paints in this parable of wheat and weeds growing up right next to each other. The first thing to note here is the question that the servants ask their master. Didn't you sow good seed? Didn't you sow good seed? Isn't this a lot like questions that we often ask God? God, didn't you create a good world? God, don't you intend good things for your people? God, are you at work in these bad situations that I see around us? God, didn't you want a good outcome? Why are you letting this happen to me, God? They're questions that everybody asks in situations where they see that these weeds are growing up. The second question that the servants ask relates to the perception that the servants have. The next question is this, do you want us to pull them up? Questioning God's reason for letting evil grow. Wheat has a shallow root. And if the servants had gone out and pulled up all the weeds that were right next to the wheat, he would have pulled up the wheat as well. The worker's perception of the field is this. The field has been ruined because there's weeds in it. 
That's the perception that the servants have. This is no longer a good field. It's going to be ruined by the weeds that are growing within it. Now, this is significant enough, this parable, that the disciples don't just go, okay, I'll leave that, leave that there and won't ask about it. But they ask Jesus when they're alone to explain this parable to them. This parable is not just something that they're wanting to, to leave and may have been something they may not have gotten uh, straight away. Uh, perhaps Peter would have gotten it if they'd used a fishing parable, um, if it was something that they felt was applicable. But instead they go, what does this mean? And Jesus explains to the disciples what it means. So we're going to go now from uh, Matthew 13 Verses 36, that's on the next slide as well. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them in the devil is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send, up his, send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will separate them, one to the furnace and, the other, and where there are weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the other, the righteous, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has his ears, let him hear." Jesus explains it like this. The field is the world. It's not the temple. Jesus is not talking about the temple here. He's very specific. It's the world. This is before the advent of the church. It's not just talking about the church. Jesus is talking about everything. This is a universal principle. This is everything that's in front of you. It's the world. It's all aspects of the world. And the person planting these evil things... Are the, is the devil. The evil things are the work of the enemy. The harvest is the end of the age. So this is an eschatological parable. Eschatological meaning end times. This is an end times parable. He's looking forward. And unless, unless Christ has come back and we missed it, unless Jesus came back and no one noticed... This applies to now. The great separation of wheat and tares is representative of this time when Jesus comes back to judge the world. Just as Matthew 25 talks about the separation of sheep and goats, we are imperfect people. We are imperfect people in an imperfect world which makes for an imperfect harvest. There is an imperfect harvest, but God did not abandon us. God did not abandon us. God has not, and this day, abandoned us. And in the mess of the world, there is majesty to be found. Jesus says both good and evil are on the rise 
both good and evil, not just evil. Evil isn't growing and overtaking. Jesus is saying, yes, evil is going to grow, but good is going to grow also. The works of the people of God are going to grow also. Jesus doesn't say, give up, look at the field and look at how bad it is. Let's, let's leave it alone. Let's pull it up. Let's get rid of it. Let's start again. That's all of the things that God had the right to say. But he looked at the world and said, yes, it's imperfect, but good things are going to grow. In Egypt, there were two churches bombed. Bombers who walked into those churches on Palm Sunday, days they knew that they were going to be full and set off their vests and killed hundreds of people. And when I was in Egypt a couple of years ago, I met a pastor, an evangelical pastor, who went on television with another Orthodox priest and said, You know what? To those bombers who walked into our building and killed our brothers and our sisters, we forgive you. We forgive you. What an act of amazing forgiveness. A wife who went on television and said, you know what? I feel sorry for the families of those bombers. She had lost her husband. But she says, I feel sorry for them. I want to care for them. My heart is to forgive them. Do you know what? They bombed the churches on Palm Sunday and on Easter Sunday, church attendance doubled because the heart of Christians in that place was to show the grace of God. That is a good work springing right up next to the evil works of the enemy, is it not? I went to a garbage dump in Egypt, a garbage dump where people collect rubbish to sell. And on top of this garbage dump was a church of 70,000 people. A church of 70,000 people in a cave, no less. A giant cave, but a cave, no less, on top of a garbage dump. And as I walked into that place that seemed like it was full of poverty, it was dirty, it was grimy, it was not a pleasant place, there was a work of God happening on top of that hill. I walked into that Orthodox church, an Orthodox mega church. I mean, it, the, 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 it blows my mind the, the way that sometimes we perceive things as to what God is using. And there was a room full of wheelchairs where people who are paraplegics and quadriplegics had gotten up out of their wheelchairs and walked. God's kingdom is growing even amongst the muck. When we see poverty and famine, it's easy to point at it and go, look at how bad this poverty and famine is. Look at how evil all of the the things that are happening around the world are but you know the numbers that we were quoting at the beginning of the 90s about how many children were going to bed hungry how many children were going to bed with dirty water have more than halved God is doing a work there are weeds in the world there's weeds yep there's bad stuff but there is wheat growing amongst it When we look at the the world, uh, persecution and difficulty only paints half the picture. Without a growing, alive and evangelistic church, there would be no persecution. 
In Saudi Arabia, there is a vibrant and growing underground church. Churches that are so over the top and full of uh, noisiness, they have to soundproof walls and, and the ceilings to make sure no one can hear what's happening inside. In China... In China, The Guardian, not some Christian organisation, not, not, a, uh, not a, a research, piece of research done by Christianity Today, uh, not to say that anything on Christianity Today is bad, but this is a, a secular newspaper. The Guardian says that China is on course to be the world's most Christian nation in 15 years' time. China, wheat, Growing up next to weeds, home churches are multiplying in North Korea. More churches are being planted in Iran than anywhere else in the world. Bible colleges are multiplying in Vietnam. The average Christian is no longer a white, middle-aged man. Most frustrating thing for the missiologist in me is to hear people talk about the white, middle-aged man's religion of Christianity. Rubbish! The average Christian... The average Christian is an African woman from an Anglican background. Globally, the church is growing. In fact, Africa, Asia and Latin America, we're seeing explosive growth. We might see that the church is, is not f- as full as it used to be in Australia. We, we worry about church attendance and decline there. But we see that in other na- nations, in other continents, there is explosive growth happening. It is the same with relationships. Often they're imperfect. Sometimes they're a letdown. But there is probably almost always goodness amongst the mess of a relationship. There is always something to salvage. There is comfort. There is love. There is intimacy. There is something good about being in relationship with people even when they're imperfect. And then there is you. Is you. God is growing something incredible amongst your mess. Amongst all your flaws and shortcomings, and we all have them. They're different. They show up in different ways. They annoy people in different ways, but we all have them. But you know what we all also have? The works of God growing up in you. As the people of God, good things are growing in you. And here's my concern, that if people don't capture this, if people don't capture this, just like when I gave up on my pedal board and had an adult tantrum and said, this is no good, our mindset becomes, oh, well, things are so bad, they're getting worse, and I'll just give up, wait for Jesus to fix it. Wait for someone else to do something. God is working in you. I'll get Andy to come up. If we magnify evil and failure, if we magnify evil and failure, whose work are we magnifying? Whose work are we magnifying? In our relationships, when we magnify failure, And hurt, whose work are we magnifying? When in ourselves, when in ourselves we magnify our shortcoming to others. When we talk about how 
rubbish we are, we're how ugly we are. We talk about all of these things. When we talk about how uh, we, we, don't, we don't like ourselves or the, the things that we've done in the past all the time, whose work are we magnifying? Or are we magnifying the work of God in us? The gifts that God has put into you, the gifts that God ha- has grown in you. Are you magnifying the works of God or are you magnifying the works of the enemy? If we magnify evil and failure, it becomes easy to give up because it seems like the enemy has won, but he has not. We are not to live fatalistically in a way that spiritualizes defeat. If we magnify evil and failure in the world, we'll most likely do nothing or even just check out. And what's more, if we magnify evil and failure in ourselves, we're going to project it onto others. It's what psychologists call projection. What you see of yourself is how you see others. And you've got to be careful with that, right? Because we're commanded to love others. But if we're commanded to love others and all we can see is the rubbish in their lives, if we focus all of our energy in trying to uproot the weeds, we become a whole different type of beast. We start accidentally pulling up the works of God. You start pulling up in other people's lives. Oh, you're this, you're that, you're this. And they start to get discouraged. They start to see less of themselves. They start to understand that they're not as good as they could be. They start to look at themselves in a bad way and you are actually uprooting the works of God in their life. Why don't you magnify and water the good things in people's lives? Why don't you magnify and glorify what God is doing in people as opposed to magnifying the evil that you see in people's lives? You are God's seed in the world. You, you are God's seed in the church. You are God's seed in the relationships that you have. You are God's seed. You are God's seed. We need to live that way. It's not your job. It's not your job. It's not your job to uproot the weeds of the world. It's not your job to uproot the weeds in relationships around you. It's not your job to go around pointing out the negative all the time. It's your job to grow and to flourish. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that immensely freeing when we see a world that we feel is in decline to go, it's not my job. It's my job to grow something good. And God is growing something good in you, in me, in all of us. It's our job to advance the kingdom of God in this world as the people of God. So can I challenge you? What is it that you're focusing on? Are you focusing on the bad so much that you're becoming negative? That you're just policing other people all the time instead of magnifying the works of God? Or are you focusing on good so much that you've become aloof to the things that you can actually affect positive change on in this world? 
Or do we see what is clearly before us? Both trouble and opportunity. And sometimes they are mixed up together, just like weeds and tares. Is the field of the world imperfect? Yes. Are our relationships imperfect? Absolutely. Are each and every one of us a mixture of rubble of past lives and the goodness of God? Amen. I know I am. But God has put majesty in amongst all of this mess. And it's you. And it's you. Let's look for God's work amongst everything, even when it's messy. Let's not wait for escape. Let's not wait just to run away from the troubles of this world. But let's instead lift our vision, lift our eyes and see the harvest that's before us. Let's ask ourselves, how can each of us be God's seed in this world, despite our flaws, but despite the difficulties, despite what's before us, how can I be God's seed in the church, even though the people within it are far from perfect? How can I be God's seed in my relationships? Even though they can be frustrating and disappointing. Know who you are. Know who you are. You are God's seed. You are a child of God. You are known and God is doing good things in you. Grow, flourish. Just grow and grow and grow. That's what God has intended for you to do in the field of the world. He hasn't created you to shrink back. He hasn't created you just to wither and die. He hasn't left you alone. He has created you to flourish. He has created you to grow up in this world. And you are planted in God's field. It's no one else's field. The enemy might plant evil in it, but guess what? It is still God's field. He still owns it and He's He's not turning His back on it. He is going to help you grow. He is going to help you flourish in amongst the mess. He is growing. He's growing in you. He's growing in the world. And there is something good happening in this house and in this nation and in this world because God hasn't given up on us yet. How about we stand together and pray? Lord Jesus, I thank You for every single individual who is here in this house. We thank You, Lord God, that You have put in them, You have put in them, Lord God, dreams. You have put in them talents, Lord God. You have put in them parts of of You to grow Your Kingdom, Lord God. And we pray for every individual in this church. We pray, Lord God, that they would flourish that they would flourish, Lord God, that they would grow in Your field, that they would grow where they are planted, in their workplace, Lord God, that they would flourish, Lord, in their homes, Lord God, that they would flourish. Lord God, wherever they're planted, Lord God, whatever is before them, that they would flourish. Lord God, where there seems to be overwhelming 
evil surrounding people, where there is difficulty, Lord God, where there is pain, Lord God, we pray, Lord, You would bring purpose. You would bring growth. You would bring health, Lord God. Where there is physical need, Lord God, where there is pain, feeling that it's holding people back, Lord God, You would bring healing, Lord. Where there is relationships that are in pain, Lord God, we pray You would bring healing to those relationships. Father God, we stand in Your field. We are Your seed, Lord God, and we see what is before us. And we pray, Lord God, that we would grow and grow together. Father God, we are thankful for what You're doing in the nations. We're thankful, Lord God, for what You're doing in this nation. And Father God, we are thankful for what You're doing in this house. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would see it grow and grow and grow. In Your holy Name, Lord Jesus, we pray together. Amen. you guys. Can we give Nathan a massive round of applause, please? Thank you for bringing such a timely and challenging word. And